0: Welcome to Point South. I'm your host, Sarah A. Lewis of The Oxford American. Join us for a live recording from Austin featuring the deer and conversation with Elizabeth McQueen. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Point South Live. My name is Sarah A. Lewis, and I'm the executive director of The Oxford American and host of The Point South podcast. I'm a Texan, so I'm actually really, really happy to be here. You'll no doubt recognize the voice of our moderator, Elizabeth McQueen, who, yes, is a She's a musician, composer, and host at KUTX. Previously a member of Asleep at the Wheel, Elizabeth produces the podcast Pause Play and this song. Welcome, Elizabeth McQueen. Oh. Well, thank you very much. I'm equally as thrilled to be joined tonight in music and conversation uh, with the Deer. Their sound has been compared to Mazzy Star and Fleetwood Mac, but they also delightfully defy comparison. Um, they're a cosmic and psychotropic brand of folk. Their new album, The Beautiful Undead, will be released this Friday, But, but you can snag a vinyl copy of the new album tonight. So... You can hear new songs tonight here in the building and then take them home with you. Please welcome the deer.
1: All right. Thank y'all. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. And hi, guys. How's it going?
0: Oh, it's
2: good.
1: So this is a live podcast taping tonight. So we're going to be talking and then they're going to play some music and then we're going to talk again and then the deer are going to play some more music. And it's all new songs from their new record, The Beautiful Undead. You're in for a treat. So thank you guys very much. It seems like it could have only been made by a group of people who went through a pandemic and social uprising and a crazy election and a winter storm and came out the other side with, like, stuff to say. And so before we get into the music and before we talk about the record proper, I was wondering if you guys could take us all back to March 2020, like get in the, the Wayback Machine. You guys had just released a record called Do No Harm, and you had some tour dates set up, and you were getting a lot of accolades. So could you kind of tell us like what it was like for you when the pandemic became a reality and how that kind of impacted what you guys were doing back then?
2: Well, I will say we only got to do one tour for that release in the fall of 2019, and couldn't really get that album out there as much as we had planned on, like many bands experienced. So that was, that was a little tough for us, for sure. But it was a signal just to get back to work and keep working on new stuff because we were already working on this album that we're about to release.
1: So were some of the songs in this album already in the works even before oh, yeah. all, yeah. all yeah. that
2: hit? Absolutely.
1: The
3: album Do No Harm released in January of 2021 officially we were about to do south by southwest and all of our gigs slowly dropped off and we hadn't really even had a chance to get this album out and we were like huh wonder what's going on it should pass right and then soon all of our south by gigs were gone i had to cancel my wedding in 2020 and postpone it we we got married in 2022 so it's so good <laughs> but um congratulations thank you <laughs> but uh you know it was a uh, it was really surreal like this it didn't feel like it was going to stick around that long. Uh, just everything was kind of, like, uprooted for a little while. It was really disorienting for sure.
2: We actually didn't get together for a while. Like, um, like three months. Like three or four months, yeah. And then we finally, you know, as we knew that everyone was good and healthy, we'd be like, okay, we're going to block off this weekend and this weekend and just hang out with each other. And, like, we basically became a pod Um To be able to keep working on this record.
4: Yeah,
3: we we did a lot of this, uh, a lot of live takes for this record. When we had gotten together the first time after not seeing each other for three months, we just got really excited. We partied way too hard. We all decided to do this thing that we never do, which is all three get into the vocal booth closet together and sing into the same microphone, (laughs) into each other's face. (laughs) And like afterwards, we're like. That was probably not the smartest move right there. But, like, we just were, like, needing this, like, connection with each other. And we had already completely, like, bacterialized everyone in the room immediately. So
2: Yeah, it was a real pod.
3: We kind of had to, like, just, like, dive in all the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's that's how, like, logistically you made things work. But how did it change the music that you were making? Like, because I'm assuming that you kind of had some ideas about what kind of record you were maybe working towards before the pandemic hit, but how did how did the whole pandemic, those periods of isolation, the stuff that you went through, how did that start showing up in the music you were making?
5: We're just kind of like all building this huge chemistry thing. Um, and so this batch of songs in particular, it's more of us sitting around and uh, and hashing them out live, doing them 10, 20 times, and then take 20 is the, is the take. And we've all felt each other's energy and the, know the dynamic of it and then it sets in and then boom there we go
1: oh wow so it just kind of organically discovering the songs as you played them live together
5: forcedly yeah <laughs> yeah it forced us inward Forcedly, I guess, organically
1: like- <laughs> well and one of the things i I kept wondering while I was listening to this record and and while I was thinking about like that period that you guys that leading up to it, was like, what were you guys listening to during this time? Because I think during the pandemic, we all kind of turned to different things. So what were some of the things you were listening to? Or were you listening to music? Yeah, the whole time. I mean, I think
5: everybody listens to music all day. Otherwise, we'd go insane. But everybody in the band has their own, like, you know, playlists going. And I'd say we all have pretty complete, uh, disparate musical backgrounds. So altogether, we, we... say, hey, check this out, oh, check this out, check this out, and it's this whole breadth of, like, different genres and stuff, and maybe that portrays itself through our music, we're kind of like a hodgepodge amalgamation of different styles and so forth.
1: I mean, I definitely feel that in this new record, and I, I was listening to Do No Harm this morning, and I was trying to compare it to your new record, and it was like, Do No Harm is such a, it has, like, a soft feel to it, and, like, a sweet feel, where this record is very out in front, like, there's a lot more... I don't know, it hits harder. Was that by design, or was that just kind of what came out of these sessions?
5: Both. There was a lot of teenage zinks that we're finally getting rid of in our late 30s.
1: Yeah, we needed to blow off some steam in a major way. Well, I could totally feel it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there's something for everyone. Like, it, it, it's kind of like a uniting feel. And, and very passionate, very fiery.
1: I mean, it does really feel that way, and it feels like these... Like for me, the three threads that I would keep coming up were like self-reflection, which is very pandemic, or like acceptance of chaos and death, which is very pandemic. Climate change keeps coming up, like this idea of actually like looking at it and dealing with it. On this record, you're really engaging with the audience in a lot of ways, like actually trying to have a conversation with the people that you're talking to. Do you feel like that's something that you guys were trying to do yeah absolutely
3: it was it was a lot more like reaching out because we had you know been like weird and isolated like before that but not like this like this really like set us into our own kind of space and trying to make it something that would be important for someone to hear who had a worse time than us you know we were were actually really lucky in a lot of ways when it first started, I was like, ooh, I don't, I no, like, no, I could not do a live stream show. I'm just going to wait for this to blow over. And then I was like, damn, it does not look like it's going to do that. So we need to get creative and we need to just like love each other and just get the music out to people because they need, they need this now.
1: And so it wasn't just, cause it sounds like, I think we all kind of reassessed during the last couple of years, like what are, what am I doing and why am I doing it?
3: Well, in the restructuring of the recordings, Mike was, has been a big proponent of doing live recordings. We had a couple of years to do this album. We actually like, thought we were done, and then we were like, you know, we could really polish some of this. And a lot of it was like, we did a bunch of demos, and we were like, no, we really want to cut these tracks live. Like We want to do as, as real of a feel as possible. And I think we were really able to do that and, and kind of like expand what we thought we could do. Because there wasn't any pressure.
1: Yeah, there was nowhere to go. (laughs) Well, I have more questions about your creative process, but I'm going to save them for the next round of stuff. And I'm going to definitely be talking to you, Mike, because I have questions. But I'd love to hear some of this music that you made during the pandemic. So right now, are you guys ready for some music? Enough talking?
3: And start with a song called Baby Green.
4: sun. Slightly between and to the seas there is a gold zone. I'm not the sum of my needs
1: You think you know what you're gonna get because you've been listening to the record, and then you come out and you see it played live, and it's like you didn't know what you were gonna get. I did. That's like that was incredible, you guys. I was not prepared for it. You guys feel that too? Like, so now I was talking to some of the guys before the show, and I think Jesse, it was you who said like. You actually had to relearn these songs. Like you made them, you recorded them, and then you didn't really do anything for like eight months with them or something. Is that is that right?
5: Yeah, it's like we're in the we're in the bunker in Alameda, coming up with the the blueprint plans, and, and then we go into the studio and learn it like fifteen times, and then have this ex- mini explosion in the studio, right? And then nobody hears it. None of our We don't even show it to our our significant others and so forth. Then uh, 10 months later on down the road, it's like, well, we better start playing these
6: little bastards live, you know? (laughs) And then we have to relearn the songs.
1: I mean, what is that like to rediscover those songs?
6: There's a lot more energy when the band is playing off of each other. Jesse writes a lot of songs on his own in his own studio, and he'll bring them to the table and offer his drafts or demos or whatever and be like, is this something you like? Can we work with it? And a lot of the time, he has done a lot of the legwork concerning melodies, structure, uh, general ideas, which is so useful for to hit the ground running. But we have a bunch of demos where we did, like Jesse said earlier, where you just layer and layer and layer, and that's an in- integral p- part of the writing process. Like we write our parts through the recording process But what's cool is through all those demos and drafts, we come, well, in the past, I used to do a lot of the recording, but now we've been hiring out an engineer and going to bigger studios so I can focus on playing guitar. And it's been cool because now we can sit in a circle and actually play the songs and uh, get that energy that we're hearing tonight, which might not be present in our drafts or demos.
2: To add on your question for Michael, I will say, like, to, to relearn them, um, we also have to choose the parts in the recording that we want to learn, like, because there are so many layers... Oh, ...that we use to arrange, and some parts end up not being played live. Like, a lot of the guitar parts and fiddle and mandolin parts and stuff like that, or even some of the vocals sometimes, like, we can't physically do that live. So we actually started... Um Recently, in the process, like trying to take away stuff in the recording that we can 't do live, but we still have to pick parts in the live arrangement, so relearning has a lot to do with that
1: I am obsessed with this band 's creative process because sometimes there's like a person at the front who comes in with a fully formed idea and like this is what we 're going to do, and your people are just executing it, but this seems like so intense because, like you said, Jesse brought in the song, but like how does it even work? How do you take two or three poems that two different people have written and make a cohesive song? You just try
3: <laughs> stuff, and then when somebody's like, no, then you're like, okay.
2: <laughs> do you, how about this compromise?
5: It's compromise. It's so cheesy. That <laughs> one was that? interesting because um, that we, Grace and I were in a part of a, a Song of the Week club that um, Adrian Linker from Big Thief has started, and uh, the Brother Brothers were in it, and uh, Luke Temple was in it. And anyways, the premise was everybody had to submit a song that they wrote per week to this online thing, and you had to listen to everybody's song, right? And the two rules were you couldn't give any criticism, positive or negative, and it had to be something completely new as of that week, or it had to be something that was old that you had exp- expounded upon. And so that one was like this like rough idea of, of this beat, of then like a verse that I had, and, and I shelved it forever. And uh, then um, we were out in Thomas, West Virginia, like messing around at a waterfall one day, and then boom, there comes the, the pre-chorus. And uh, then, uh, uh, then a friend of ours who Michael and Alan were in a band with before, uh, before we uh, found each other in the deer called Hendrix McLeod, Michael McLeod and Dominic Hendrix, of course, he was in town for like two weeks and we stayed up ne- all night like writing and, and making cool things and then finally this like chorus came around and we flushed it out and then boom, I had a whole working song and then showed it to everybody. He's like, hey, I got a, a song on guitar. You know, like let's, let's, build, let's build something. We got something here.
1: Well, do you guys ever get in fights? Like do you ever say like, hey, how about this? And someone yeah. says like, no, I don't think so. And you go, no, it is the best thing that I've ever written. Like, yes, next yeah.
2: question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually... I actually have a really hard time letting go of the demos myself. But yeah, it's really hard to let go of ideas. I think that can be some friction sometimes, at least from me.
1: <laughs> so, Michael, so were you choosing? Specifically for Bellwether, but I guess on this, you you guys have talked about how you did a lot of live versions of these songs. You would record them and record them and then say, "Okay, well, this is the one." Were you going through all of those recordings and trying to pick out stuff that would end up on the ultimate ultimate recording?
6: Bellwether is a funny example because it was largely constructed before Jesse brought it. He had already demoed it so much that we were oftentimes just playing parts that he had meticulously crafted. So a lot like that outro melody I'm doing, Jesse wrote it. And that's what's fun about our band is a lot of the times, even if I'm playing the part, someone else might have, might've wrote it. Like there's several songs that I wrote the bass. Yeah. yeah, Six pointed star. We'll play on our next little round of songs. I played bass uh, to record that one and Jesse learned it on upright and he's, been shifting into electric bass more but same thing with noah he's recorded guitar parts on the album that i'll now play but we we're all kind of multi-instrumentalist and we have no uh ego about sharing our ideas depending on instrument
1: i mean it sounds like a really nice democratic process that maybe leads to some conflict but that maybe you guys have figured out some good conflict resolution stuff am i guessing okay okay yeah, yeah, it's just called dropping it sometimes.
6: <laughs> it's That's like,
3: true. I don't want to die on this hill or at all. <laughs> I don't care if this gets adopted into the song. It's a good part. I'll use it for another song. It's just give it up to God, you know?
1: Right on, right on. And the first song you played in that last set, Baby Green, is one of my favorites, not just because it has the song title in it, I mean, the album title in it, The Beautiful Undead, which I'm always, like, a fan of, but also because it has one of my favorite lyrics, which is, like, I'm not really nasty, but thinking makes me mean. Yeah, I feel like that's a real real thing. But the bigger thing that, that struck me was that, like, that song seems to be about, in some way making your peace with, like, all of it, with all of the stuff that we went through, through an acceptance that, like, we're all going to die? Yeah. Is that pretty much it? Absolutely. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, you nailed it. It's it's kind of like,
3: yeah, yeah, we're all going to die. We're, we have a lot of songs about death. We have a whole, a whole album about death, spoiler alert, if you don't know us. Um, so we're really familiar with that space and and kind of, like, wishing to come out of COVID or, like, wishing to, like, come back from lockdown was, like, feeling like we were undead in a way Um, and kind of, like, blossoming and being, like, more true to ourselves in a way of, like, fuck it, we're all gonna die. Why are we holding on to, like, decorum? Why are we, like, holding on to these old, like, trips and letting it, making all these decisions based on fear and shame and... Um, it's about kind of dropping all of that and just, like, living after that.
1: Well, that is one thing that struck me, too. I I did a lot of research for this interview, and I listened to an interview where you talked about the first time that you really sang and decided you wanted to be a performer. And that was, like, you were kind of in the middle of a panic attack at the time. Um, and that, like, eased, the singing eased the panic attacks. And then your second record... Um, On the Essence of the Indomitable Spirit, that was written after the death of your friend Stephanie Bledsoe, which was a bit like the entire band processing this shared grief. And now you have this record where you're kind of processing this shared trauma and grief that we all have felt, like, over-culturally. I mean, is this... Is that what music is for you guys? Like, is that something...
5: Do you do a psychotherapy on the side? Or? You
1: know, and the funny thing was, like, I would write this down and I'd be like, there's no question in here, but I think there is. Do you I do mean, psychedelics
3: really? on the side?
1: Because uh. <laughs> we do. Because I guess that's the thing. It's like, not every band is up for the task of processing the big scary shit, but you guys are. And so is that? Well, like, I don't know. There's no question there, but I just think it's an it's interesting.
3: We're all like in our in our late 30s here and uh we're just kind of over the, you know, growth spurts. I feel like this is like maybe this is a giant growth spurt for us for sure, but like just you know, after a couple of years of so many untruths, just the truth feels really good.
1: And how does it feel when you sing it in front of people? Cuz you've been playing these songs on the road, right? It's, it
2: feels amazing.
1: <laughs> was that way back in the day, like, when you first sang? You might, could you tell the audience this story? Because maybe not everyone knows.
3: Uh, sure, yeah. Um, so I always sang when I was a little kid, and I was, like, in choir and, like, church and stuff, and, like, went to school for music and sang in choir and shit. Um, but I uh, didn't really like to sing for people or, like, write my own music until I was about 20, 21, um, and it happened on a, on a psychedelic trip. Uh, mushrooms and out camping one day I'm gonna go ahead and out us all um sorry everyone and um I'm not a cop <laughs> and uh yeah it was a I had a moment of just like panicking because I was like what am I supposed to do what do I do with all this energy I felt it all just like spinning around inside me and like hitting the walls of my chest and just like feeling this energy like pinging around and and Jesse was, I was like, Jesse, I
5: got to call my mom. I'm going to call my mom right now.
3: I got to call my mom. (laughs) (laughs) I went and I sat in my PT cruiser. I think this was like 2004. (laughs) And I called my sister, which do not call your mom was a good advice because my mom would have called an ambulance. (laughs)
4: Yeah,
3: exactly. Um, And my sister was like, there's like white light around you and unicorns and you're in space. And I was like, this isn't working. I got to go home. And Jesse, I'm going to go home. And he was like, don't. We're two and a half hours away from your dorm. No, you're not going home. Just sit here. I'm going to sing you a song, and then you're going to sing a song, and you're just going to tell me if you feel weird still. Uh, I'll drive you home myself, which was probably not true. I felt all that energy that was, like, pinging around off of my the walls of my body just come out of my body and just, like, see it go out. And then I saw my friends' faces who were like, you sang? And I'm like... "I." I'm in choir with you in music theory, like, yes. And they're just like, well, that's weird, like, okay. And I was like, I'm never going to not do that. Um, that's medicine right there. It calmed look, calmed my heart rate, made my palms stop sweating immediately and, and brought me back to earth, really.
1: Well, it is medicine. And I have to say, I was actually driving here, I was listening to NPR, and they were talking about how people measure heat and how we're all going to have to reassess how we measure heat because the world is getting hotter and the ways that we measure heat are not an effective way of saying how much danger someone might be in because maybe you didn't know this but the heat index which is like the feels like temperature is measured from the shade you guys it's not from like standing in the sun which i didn't know till i heard this npr thing and i started to have like a bit of a panic thing like oh my Okay, the world is heating up, and, and like it's coming. And oh my God, I have kids, and ah. And then I thought, well, shit, I get to go see the deer. They wrote a song about this, and I think it's gonna make me feel better. So, <laughs> so thank you guys for the medicine, because I definitely need it as much as anybody. So. Thank you for receiving. Thank you for hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think maybe that's a good time to say, like, can you play us some more medicine? And by medicine, I mean music. These Uh, ones might be really loud. Okay, I'm excited about it. Much love to you guys. Thank you guys so much.
2: Thanks, Elizabeth.
1: And thank you guys for listening, and thanks to Oxford American for asking me to come out and talk to these amazing musicians. Thank you guys for the music.
2: Yes, thank you, Oxford American. Thank you, Longplay. Thank you, Elizabeth McQueen.
3: This is a song we wrote in the woods and then made into a song that came out of the woods. It's called Six-Pointed Star. We do not know what it is about. Do tell us.
0: Thank you guys so much for coming out tonight, and it's a little bit redundant, but let's get another round of applause for the deer and for Elizabeth McQueen. So just so you all know, this uh, this episode will air at the end of the month um, on, the, the podcast is called Point South, and you can get it anywhere that podcasts are streaming, so check it out at the end of the month. Thank you to... Long Play East for hosting this evening and creating a space for conversations and music like this. It's really awesome. Um, A big thanks to the staff, of course, tip your bartender, goes without saying. (laughs) And I hope you've all grabbed a copy of the magazine in the back. There's actually really special guy in the audience tonight named Mike Reddy. He's the art director of the magazine. So he's the person who makes sure that it is as beautiful as it is. We are often cited for our art, and he's the reason. So I'm really happy that he's in the room tonight to experience with us. So I have to put on... I had a hall monitor hat earlier. Right now I have an executive director hat. And I have to say... That as a nonprofit, we are only able to present freely to the public thanks to the generosity of folks like Long Play East and folks like you. Um, so I hope you'll consider if you're able making a donation to the Oxford American, you know, consider what a ticket to a program like this would cost. Um, head to oxfordamerican.org slash donate to give and also use the QR code on these cards that are here but mostly we just want to say thank you we love you we love austin we're happy to be here and we hope you all have a good night thanks to everyone this event was produced with support from the national endowment for the arts and long play lounge east the episode was produced by me, Christian Brown, and Christian Lewis. Post-production by Space Bomb. Special thanks to Elizabeth McQueen, The Deer, Ryan Harris, and Jonathan Chandler.